0: What is happening everyone? Welcome again to the Window, Canada Sports Betting Podcast. Ahead on today's year-end episode of The Window, it's the best of the window, a clip show on steroids, my favorite sound bites from the various guests that we had on as part of From the Window to the Screen series during this crazy year of 2020. Whether sports were happening or not, good conversations were had and fun stories. Were told by various personalities in the sports betting space. Chad Millman, Dave Tooley, Preston Johnson, Colin Wilson, Drew Dinsick, Maddie Simo, and Chris Abbott all took the time to entertain us with tales of their experience in sports betting, all that, and podcast goals for 2021. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. welcome to the window i'm your host matt russell the year in review show for the window 2020 was weird have you heard that before it's pretty original feel free to use it but 2020 for me was actually an improvement on 2019 though the flood a couple of months ago at my house wasn't a party and Two weeks ago, I literally had a bad beat on a prop that was so bad, it was featured on both a V-CIN show and was written about in a Philadelphia newspaper. Not the game being written about, not the play being written about. Literally my bet, mentioning me by name. In a newspaper, in another city, in another state, in another country. In 2019, I was included in a mass layoff at a national sports network that I had worked at for over a decade. Late nights, tight deadlines, leadership that changed on an annual basis, after the powers that be decided that they no longer needed a flashy opening to their sports news and highlights show. I was okay with it, because I loved doing that job, being creative on a nightly basis with all the unpredictability that sports gives us. And if it wasn't going to exist, then it's pretty easy to stomach being asked to leave. If you hit a point in your life where you didn't want to do the late nights anymore, leaving work at 2 a.m. In fact, weeks before that, I was asked what else would I want to do? And the answer was two parts. One, nothing else that existed in the newsroom. I had done it all. And two, for the second time in my tenure there, I pitched the idea of covering sports from a betting standpoint. Imagine a national network covering sports in a way that many people watch. The way of the future. So being let go wasn't a problem for me. The problem was, I had just bought a house. And approvals were still in the works, and employment records were still needed for mortgage rates. Not ideal. It all ended up working out, but not without an incredible amount of stress for a period of time, for both me and my partner. We moved in, but less than two months in, I received news from my father that he had been diagnosed with cancer, thousands of miles away. I would get updates that he would have this setback or that setback, an induced coma, a change in prognosis, Never really sure if I had spoken to him for the last time. From a betting standpoint, I was contending in the Las Vegas Super Contest. For the second time, I finished 16th in 2014. Sitting in 10th with two or three weeks to go, the next 10 to 15 games would result in a swing of tens of thousands of dollars. Without going into detail, I suffered through three or four of the worst beats imaginable. Paling in comparison to the one that was featured in the Philadelphia Daily News Some you'll remember like the Seahawks being stopped at the goal line in the season finale on Sunday night football against San Francisco Some you won't like the Raiders backdooring the Broncos only to lose in Denver After not scoring through the first three quarters of the game two touchdowns in the fourth quarter to backdoor cover I finished 30-something So disappointed, I don't even remember the exact number. And when I got the check, I couldn't enjoy it. Should have had a zero, maybe two added onto the back end. Whether it was one thing or the other, I was kept up at night. Pretty sure I had an ulcer. So 2020 comes rolling around. We take a trip out west to California for vacation and to Vancouver to visit my dad. And on Super Bowl Sunday, I start this podcast. Finally. Of course, I finally start a podcast doing something I'd always wanted to do, and in an unprecedented development, sports are cancelled for an extended period of time. A month later. Classic Russell luck. The pandemic hits, and we all experience this admittedly sucky year. In our own way, but collectively. But for me, it felt like we were all on an even playing field. Everybody was having a bad time. At least it just kind of sucked for all. During the, pe- the peak of the pandemic, we received news that my dad has, as a short underdog, not just covered the spread, but defeated cancer. As with most things in the Russell family, the wrong team was favored. But what about the podcast? What about my career if there's no sports to bet on? How can I make money betting on sports professionally? How can we talk about betting on sports that don't exist? So I had an idea for content if we're going to teach people how to bet how to improve their betting record we should introduce those new to the space to the people who are in the space who are these people what do they do what's their story where does their credibility come from. So this episode is a thank you to them a best of their appearances on the podcast telling stories giving me their time they didn't have to my partner Emily would often say man these people are really nice to do this, to to take the time. And it's true because I've approached others and very few have said no, though many that have ignored my inquiry. And don't worry, I'm taking notes on that. I'm not above that. It's also for you, the listener, putting some of the best stuff in one place, but also organizing it so that if you like one clip or another and maybe you missed the podcast the first time around, you can go back and find the full version. I'll mention the date for each show to make it easy on you. One last thing, a best of betting show could easily be me just going back and clipping all of the things that we got right, 50 plus units in the NHL bubble, 67% on the NBA bubble regular season, the 10 to 1 Major League Baseball division winner parlay, and an NFL season that had us in contention for the top 50 in the Circa Million, and a survivor plan that has us still alive into the final week, whether you're in your pool, at work, or at home. But that would be kind of lame. So let's start with arguably my biggest get. Chad Millman, chief content officer at the Action Network, one of the leaders at the forefront of mainstream media betting content during his time making big decisions at ESPN. On June 22nd, Chad and I talked for an hour plus, and he told story after story. You can tell he's a veteran podcaster himself. Chad's book, The Odds, fascinated me 20 years ago and it did again on reread last summer. I asked him about how he found that project 20 plus years ago.
1: I felt like I had to be in New York, so I moved there without a job, like three weeks after graduation. Um, And my dad flew me out there. I was uh, subleasing an apartment. A good friend of mine that I grew up with, who's still a good friend, he had gone to Wesleyan in Connecticut, and he had an internship at MTV. So he found us a uh, two-bedroom, a roach-filled two-bedroom on the Upper West Side um, that I had never seen. And so my dad moved me in there. Uh, that guy got fired from his internship after three weeks at MTV. No. Um, but he turned out okay because years later he created the show Game of Thrones. So <laughs> um, it all worked. Yeah, it's all right. It worked out for him. Um, and so... I got when I when we landed, my dad helps me unpack and then he's leaving and I still don't have a job. And he hands me uh a bartender's manual. And he's <laughs> like, he's like, you're gonna need this. Was maybe it's so like I hope you never have to use this, but yeah. he wasn't very hopeful. Um <laughs> and uh you know, I was honest to God, I interviewed everywhere. Like I I had interviewed for like if there's a level of the Wall Street Journal that was like three levels down, um, that was basically just typing in agate copy for people to read, like traders, like, you know, prices that wouldn't even appear in the Wall Street Journal. Cause remember, stock prices used to appear in the paper. Um, sure. I didn't get hired for that. I took the typing test, like Condé Nast, obviously a a massive and famous new uh, magazine publisher. Um, I took the typing test there. I wanted to work at GQ, um, they said I was the worst typist they had ever had come through to take the typing. test. And then like, luckily three weeks after I moved to, to New York and was jobless still, um, the, uh, the folks I'd worked with at SI called me and said, listen, we're expanding our NFL coverage. We need to hire more fact checkers. Um, you're here, we know you. Uh, it's gonna be a six month gig, we're gonna see how it goes. And why don't you start? And so, Mm -hmm. um, and then they didn't even make me start until the end of July. So all of a sudden I had a month in New York. I just enough money saved up that I could last until the new gig started. And I got the gig and uh, six months turned into five years. SI had decided to do in maybe early 94 or something like that, a story about the world of sports betting. And... um, I interviewed, I I ended up um, connecting with a bunch of people I knew at IU who were bettors and one of them who was a bookie and ended up like going on this all night tour. Like we drove from Bloomington to Peoria to go to Riverboat Casino and just sort of have a night experiencing what it's like when you're a college kid who likes to bet. So that became part of the story at SI and, and, that was 90, I think 94, 95. And that was sort of the first time I really had a taste of, of what it's like to write about people who bet, not necessarily what they're betting or, or um, how to bet the games, but just people who like to bet.
0: So how do you come up with the idea for the odds, and and moreover, how do you find these guys? And looking back, you introduce the world to Alan Boston, who's you know still kind of you know roaming around the media a little bit here and there twenty years later, and of course you know legendary part-time musician Bob Scucci, and, um, who makes his way back to your story you know a little later on. So you know how does that all come together? How do you find these guys, and uh, you know how do you talk a publisher into into doing this?
1: I wrote this book. I always wanted to write another one. And um, I was an editor at ESPN, the magazine, which had started it, you know, a year before. And they had recruited a lot of people from SI, younger people from SI. And I was an editor. But at ESPN, you could write, you could edit, you could do whatever. And, and uh, a buddy of mine had been assigned a story, short one-page story uh, for the front of the magazine around the NCAA tournament about the guys who set the odds for the NCAA tournament. And in 99, uh, online betting was still in its infancy. So the majority of the action was still in Vegas, and the majority of the action that kickstarted the action around the world, so where the numbers were set, where point spreads were set, was still in Vegas, and it was by this guy Mm -hmm. named Joe Lupo and by this guy named Bob Scucci, who were the bookmakers at the Stardust Hotel. The Stardust Hotel, legendary sports book, because it's where uh, Lefty Rosenthal, who was famously played by Robert De Niro in the movie Casino, um, which, yes. is based on a, which is based on a, a real book by Nick Pelleggi. Um And so this was like the sports book of all sports books. And um, I, my buddy was writing a story about these guys who set the point spread. He had spoken to Lupo. He had done one conversation. He had a bunch of notes and then he got assigned a feature story and he was around my age. We were 27, 28 and he really wanted to be a feature writer and he didn't want to be sort of doing a smaller story. The story was that he got assigned was about Jason Kendall, a catcher for the Pittsburgh pirates at the Mm -hmm. time. And, He's like, "Listen, I kind of want to go do this longer feature story. Can you just pick up this story for me? I've already called this guy Joe Lupo at the Stardust once. Uh, just write it for me and, you know, and help me out." I'm like, "Sure, I don't care." So, <laughs> I, I I called Lupo and followed up and I just found I found it fascinating. Like he was at the center of a multi-billion dollar industry that I knew millions of fans were paying attention to, but nobody talked about. Yeah. And that everybody was sort of having a shadow conversation about in alleys, in bars, on couches, in living rooms, in dorm rooms, in frat houses, wherever. I was looking for another book. So after the story was done, it was was March of 99. I called Joe Lupo and I'm like, look, I think there's a book here. Like, I'd love to come out to Vegas for the winter and, and spring and college basketball season. And I'd love to write about the interplay between bookmakers and professional betters, the way you describe sort of in the story, he told me about setting a point spread and professional betters coming and trying to pound that line into shape and beat what bookmakers post and find the advantage and sort of a lot of market making, right. To take right. it back to the financial industry. For and sure. so, um He's like, yeah, you know, come on out. Let me see if I can. I'm like, can you help me find any betters? And he's like, let, let me see if I can find someone. So this goes on for four or five weeks. And then one day uh, I'm at a wedding in San Diego. I'm at the airport and my wife and I, uh, who was the girl that I moved to New York for. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, she, we, we then got married. She, uh, we were at the airport in San Diego and we stopped at a pay phone. I'm like, let me just check the voicemail back in New York. And on the voicemail in New York is a call from Alan Boston. It's a, and for those who don't know, Alan is a um, incredibly intense, uh, incredibly high stakes better, who is uh, literate and manic and, um, feels aggrieved by every transgression from anybody who does anything impure in the history of the world. I'm listening to it and it's like Alan is saying how Joe Lupo told me to call you. I don't know why I would call you, um, but I, you know, I'm betting on the French Open right now. I'm watching Agassiz. I got 40 grand on this guy. He says you want to do a book, you know, I'm really interested in literature. And you know, this really strange five minute manic phone call. And I hung up and then I looked at my wife. I'm like, I think I'm going to write a fucking book.
0: (laughs) Dave Tooley was one of those guys that worked for Chad at ESPN. His weekly columns in the early 2010s helped shape my understanding of how the NFL works from a handicapping standpoint. A veteran of the industry, he's now at VSIN, the Vegas Stats and Information Network, as a senior reporter on June 9th. I asked him about how he got into betting when he caught the bug.
2: July twentieth, nineteen ninety. Uh, I was I, my, the Frank Berbic had invited me out, and I'd been out, you know, maybe a half dozen times. And but I was I was losing money, and I really couldn't afford it. And but he was like, "Oh, I have the I you know you got to come out. I have a three horse exacta box you got to play, and uh, <laughs> and my and my and my best bet of the day." you know, you'll make money. And I'm yeah. like, like, I don't know, but I decided, okay. So I, so I go out, I bet five to win in place on the, on his pick, which was the chalk. <laughs>
1: uh,
2: people that know me now will cringe at that. But, uh, yeah. and then I bet a $2 exact box on uh, his three horses that uh, he thought for sure, we're going to dominate this race. So I had 22 bucks total in the race. And at the, at the last minute, and it, it was, it was very rainy. It was pouring rain. And, uh, so I, you know, I wasn't sure how well his, his horses were going to run the slop, but I figured, okay, he, he knows what he's doing. I'm going to take a shot here. So I had $22 bet that I really, again, I really couldn't afford at the time. And then I'm, I'm looking at, they had a big matrix board at Arlington, right outside the press box. Cause I would, I would watch the races from the press box and uh, but right outside that at the betting windows they had this big matrix board you know digital that would show the exact and quinella will pays so so i'm out, i'm out there and i'd already bet 22 bucks and at that time it was a $3 minimum quinella bet which is uh you just got to pick the first two horses in, in either order you know as opposed to an exact where you have to pick them in the exact, or, exact order so i'm i'm looking at the matrix board and it shows the 112 is paying over two thousand dollars. So I was like, "Now, again, in my mind, um, 25 is a round number." Sure. <laughs> uh, it was it Works was my high school it was my high school kick, uh, number as a kicker in, in high school. So 25 has always been a you know favorite number of mine. Anyway, going back to Fred Bolitnikoff of the Raiders used to wear 25. So anyway, so I, I look up at the board. And the 112 is paying over $2,000. So I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm already in for 22 bucks. You know, why don't I just make it an even $25? Again, showing how my mind works. <laughs> okay. but, so I bet Makes the, total sense yeah, so to me, honestly. Yeah, so, so I bet the $3 coin out of the 112. So now I'm in for 25 bucks, which, again, I couldn't afford. Um, and so anyway, I thought, okay. So I go, in, I go in to watch the race. I go out on the press box balcony. And the race had already started, so you can see how close I was to having this bet get shut out. So anyway, my friend Frank, uh, his his favorite, uh, goes up to the lead with a couple of the, of the other horses he liked. So I'm watching the race. I'm fe- I'm feeling pretty good, and but then they they they, they turn for a stretch in the stretch. Uh, it was a mile and an eighth race, and all of a sudden his horses start fading, and of and as, and as they're fading. My heart is literally sinking. I'm sitting there thinking, why did I come out here? I really can't afford this 25 bucks." Yeah. <laughs> and, <clears throat> and then I look back up through the binoculars, and coming down the stretch is the one in the 12. And I can't believe what yeah. I'm watching. And I'm, I'm, like, doing a double take. Because, <laughs> again, it, it, was pouring, it was pouring rain, sloppy track. Uh, Trevor yeah. Denman, the famous race caller from California, uh, was in call, calling the races. So I, 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 you know, I hear him uh, ca- calling these two horses home. And so they pull off and they win by like seven lengths clear of the rest of the field. And wow. Then, so I, I guess my bet knocked on the uh, the payoff a little bit, but I, I won $1,716.30. Uh, that. <laughs> yeah. which
0: at least. this point for you, it might as well have been a million dollars right because <laughs> you yeah, worried I mean, about the 22 bucks right?
2: yeah i, I couldn't afford the 25 bucks I, was, I thought i was gonna lose
0: one of dave's colleagues at v is a rising star in the sports betting media drew dinsick known as whale capper on twitter is all over the sports betting media landscape so of course he had to come on the window too on november 18th how did drew find out you could just bet on sports like most of us hailing someone else you know do you remember when you kind of started or when it occurred to you and then kind of how it developed oh
3: yeah very clearly i remember it was it's crystal clear and it had nothing to do with family i had no legacy of this whatsoever to ever bet on it uh you know through my high school years or anything like that um but then as a sophomore in college um there was a guy who was two years older than me he was a senior who was from la uh he knew college basketball extremely well and uh, he had like a very solid read on like the, the Big West and the WAC. And, you know, okay, nice. we used to hang out and play darts all the time. And, uh, you know, one night he was, it was like in December maybe. And uh, he was like, man, they just, they cannot get this, the, you know, the read on the, the Long Beach State. Uh, you know this basketball team? They're so much better than the market thinks. They're like three and a half point dogs in right. to Pepperdine tonight. They should be favored. And I'm like, wait, what are you talking about? Like, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah, like, who, who like, are wait, you? Wait, who's, like, who's Florida got a bad State? read? Like, or what do you even talking? Pepperdine, about? like college basketball, like what? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, man, like this is just such a bad line tonight. And he, uh, he's talking it up. And I'm like, okay, well, this, you're making some solid points. I want to get down on this. And uh he and I was like, yeah. Where are you betting? Like, do you have a bookie? And he was like, Oh no, I just used like this online site. And I was like, Okay, well, it's just that easy. You can just sign up online and bet on sports. Like that's how this works. And I was like, yeah. There's no freaking way. Yeah. I was like, Is this legal? He's like, yeah. I don't know. And I was like, Well, let's give it a try. <laughs> and um, you know, I think I signed up at it was sportsbook.com at the time. Not a joke. That was okay. the, I think that yep. was the name of the site. Yep. And um, Sure. I you know put a hundred dollars from my debit card onto the site and took five seconds yeah. and I was like, oh my god, this is so freaking easy. How is this possible? Bet <laughs> bet all hundred dollars on Long Beach State that night. They won and you know we're we're oh, just wow. staying up like till two in the morning East Coast time because it was obviously a West Coast game and it's just like elated and I was like, man, this is so freaking easy. I can't believe how easy this was and uh, and then for sure. Um, this was the same year that Brady came in for uh for Blood So early in the season and the Patriots were going on like their run, right. uh, you know, their the team of destiny. Um and I had already like sure. bought into that emotionally. You know, like I was all in on like the team right. of Destiny. The Patriots were gonna win the Super Bowl, even though they were like, you know, the third seed or whatever in the AFC. And uh and so I took right. all the winnings and I Split them like halfway between like the Patriots to win the Super Bowl and like, um, you know, and then kept betting some other college basketball stuff that this guy was giving me and you know, built up like a good, you know, took like a hundred dollars, made it in, turned it into a thousand once the Patriots won that Super Bowl. Um, and I was like, this is crazy. Like, I can't believe how easy this was. It's <laughs> wow. so, like, I have enough money to go on right. spring break now. And I was like, "Well, how do I get it back? Yeah. <laughs> like, that part wasn't clear right. at all." I was like, yeah. I knew, "It was easy enough to give them money, but how do you get it back?" Yeah. And is there a yeah, kiosk? Like, I was like, "How does this work exactly? Does, like, do I get work? a bag of money? Like, how does this?" You know, and yeah. Uh, yeah, but you know, they you know go through the whole withdrawal process on this offshore, and they make it extremely tough for you. And then eventually, they sent sent me uh-huh. this check that was from like a foreign bank in like China that looked so sketchy and. And yeah. I walked it to – you know, I I'd already like committed and like like you know, drained my account to pay for the spring break trip, expecting to get this check. And so I like yeah, I finally get it. And I'm like, yeah. man, I am I gonna get arrested for like depositing this. What's gonna happen? <laughs> this is gonna go this could right. go sideways. What are the taxes? Tax, yeah, it was like this yeah. is this is crazy. Like I wonder if I'm gonna get but you know, and you know, you, I walk into the window, it looks like stolen check. Like it looked totally fake and all all rag- yeah. all ragged. Um, but they cashed it and I got to go to spring break and, uh, had a great time. Uh, and that was the only time I ever withdrew, um, money from a sports book account for like 10 years. I think there was, I think there was like 10 years and I didn't have another like single time where I had, you know, enough winnings or, you know, enough, uh, enough liquidity that I, I was willing to withdraw money. So, um, that was extremely, extremely, uh, lucky, I think.
0: Another new star in the new media of sports betting, Preston Johnson, and not just because of another animal alias on Twitter. Sports Cheetah is a regular on ESPN's Daily Wager. On July 9th, we talked about it all, including some really good advice on getting as much information as you can from all types of sources, but my favorite parts are often guys explaining how they got their start. And in the case of Preston, it wasn't betting on sports that was the key to his early beginnings.
4: And Poker was really where anything started for me that <laughs> on any significant scale. That's another uh, so stage. 2003 Moneymaker happens and it's blowing up. It's on TV and I'm watching ESPN, ESPN2 all the time. Anyway, started playing with friends, home games, $5, $10, whatever it may be. Um, but when I was a senior, so about maybe two years after that, uh, when we turned 18, we were allowed to start writing our own doctor's notes. And in Southern California, there are Indian casinos. Uh, kind of spaced out around where you only have to be 18 years old to play in them. Most places in the United States to play poker, you got to be 21. Uh, So we would write doctor's notes on Fridays and group of us would go play at Chumash casino. It's up above Santa Barbara. It's in the, in this mountain area. And they would run tournaments Fridays. Then we'd play like the two five cash game. Uh, And I just was, I think really lucky early on. I also think I had a little bit of a better understanding to just how to play poker versus a lot of the people that were trying that, or just watching TV now. It's a different story now. Like the very sure. basic recreational player in poker now is like really good comparatively. Mm-hmm. So uh, back, it, it's just really not even saying much that back in 05, I could beat poker games as a senior in high school. But they sure. just, there were guys that were just so bad. Um, <laughs> so I did that and I actually was making money with that. And like, like a lot more than an 18-year-old in high school should be making. Right. And kind of turned that into well, I should be playing online and started playing online when, you know, you could play on Poker Stars and Full Tilt and Absolute Poker and Ultimate Bet, all these sites and did pretty well there too. I actually, before Black Friday happened where they, the American or the government said, hey, no more online poker. Um, yeah. I had a decent bankroll from that. Um, I had a third place in a, in a pretty big tournament online on a Sunday on one of the sites and uh, was able to, Basically, take that and use it as my sports betting bankroll. Uh, otherwise, I don't know if I ever would have gotten into sports betting, to be completely honest, because yeah. I would I would have had maybe maybe had for fun, but not as seriously. Because right. you know, I I probably mm-hmm. had um well half of it was still under seas with full tilt, so it's, it's like not half, but a, a good percentage of it was still tied up. Eventually, it was released a few years later, uh, okay. but immediately, I still had like. 50 K as you know, like a college student where I was like, well, what am I going to do with this? And, (laughs) and you asked where I went to college. So I went to BYU where uh, it's extremely cheap to attend school there. I wasn't really sweating that. Um, And so I had this money. I was like, well, what am I going to do with uh, this bankroll for poker that I'm not going to like move out of country. Like some friends of mine actually started doing that really were taking poker seriously. Uh, I was not planning on doing that my whole life. So Uh, I was just like, well, I'll use it to bet sports and started, you know, betting like 300 a game and just kind of picking up stuff here and there. But if I wasn't able to do that, I don't think I ever would have, you know, done much more outside of just betting for fun.
0: ESPN's Daily Wager and much of everything else in the sports betting landscape only exists because of ESPN's early coverage of sports betting. But Chad Milliman moved on to the Action Network, and one of his most detailed handicappers is Colin Wilson. Colin does great work on college football, but when golf's weird schedule had the U.S. open in September, on September 16th, he was happy to discuss live betting golf as a strategy. But there was more to the pod than just that. If
5: you know any of the companies in the Fortune 500, they're running software called SAP, which this is going to be a little golf theme here, what, what Ernie Hills had on his hat, uh, his German sponsor. Right. Uh, that's the company. Yeah, I mastered doing that around, right out of college, right out of Arkansas, and uh, turned out working at, at companies like Tyson Foods and Nestle and Boeing and Kraft and you name it. I've been in there uh, doing you know independent consulting for 10 to 15 years, I got to the 15 year mark. And I said to myself, and, and I'd already been college football gambling for a long time, flying out to Vegas, uh, meeting bookmakers, uh, taking them out to dinner, buying them drinks, figuring out how they do their process. Because hmm. when you get an engineering degree, your entire life is numbers. I mean, everything is putting a jigsaw puzzle together and, and measuring everything perfectly. And so when I would meet these odds makers back, you know, 2008 ish, 2009 ish. I'd ask them, how would you come up with this number? Like, did you come up with this out of thin air? Is when I watch the Titans minus three only win by two? Uh, <laughs> yeah. did you guys, does Vegas know? Is there a conspiracy? Which is silly. It's all mathematics. But, um, you know, I, I wanted to get down to the bottom of how these numbers were made. And essentially, it was a lot easier than I thought. And these guys that are, you know, making numbers, while they're really good at it, it's not really that complicated of a process and and they take in public perception into these numbers. And after, you know, getting to know bookmakers and getting to know fellow gamblers out in Las Vegas, I started to write by myself. And, and I, you know, just, I, I can remember back in 2012, writing a college football preview that was 136 pages long. <laughs> and I had a Twitter following account of like 120 people. Right. And I, I published it out there, and I remember trolls even telling me back then, nobody's reading this. Nobody's reading this. <laughs> right. Nobody cares. Why are you doing this? And I'm like, yeah, but I went 21 and 6 in bolts. That's pretty good. <laughs> right.
0: So, I can relate. I can yeah. Relate.
5: And so my career was you know, flying all over the place, and instead of sitting in first class and – hopping on dating apps or, you know, I, I was, I was flying from Seattle to Vermont to Texas, back to home, or I was flying to Europe or doing something for my SAP career. I was up in first class, popping the popping the laptop and working as hard as I could on making numbers and trying to identify value in the football market. And I started writing, you know, freelance and, you know, got in with gambling Twitter back yeah. in the mid uh, 2014, 2015. And, and one day I get a phone call in, in 2017 um, saying, do you want to come write for this app called Sports Action? And I said, uh, yeah, you're going to pay me? <laughs> yeah, right. You, I don't care if you pay me a dollar. You're going to pay me to come write? Right. And yeah, people are I actually going to read it. And people are going to read it. <laughs> right. it this time instead of me being trolled about my 120 follows Yeah, what an incredible...
0: So I have yeah, to follow up yeah. then. When, you, when you're saying you go to Vegas to sort of start essentially schmoozing... Uh, bookmakers like how does that work like I'm sure people are sitting there listening going like can I just fly out there like you went out there to live for a period of time and so it was over a <laughs> longer period where you're just sort of sidling up to people or like how more specifically did that work for you
5: well luckily um I uh would go out there and if I'd go to the Westgate, I'd be like is, I'd, I'd you know get a ticket and I'd say is Jay here yeah Jay corner is hey, here. I want to say hi you know right. or uh you know, is Chris Andrews here at South Point? Yeah, well, bring Chris out here. I want to say hi and tell him I respect his numbers. You know, so right. you're nice to him and you make the introduction, tell him who you are. And these, I mean, you got to remember, these bookmakers meet just thousands of us gamblers. Well, sure. so it's hard for yeah. them to put a face with the with the handle and and you know, I wanted to always kind of befriend them. And uh, a couple of them became personal friends, and uh, you know that really. And then a couple of them that are on the other side of the counter turned into really close personal friends. So it. There's a whole network like off of Twitter that people don't even understand. Like a lot of us really know each other personally, and and so it's you know it it it's good to have those kind of relationships. I, I don't want to. I didn't ever want to be the kind of guy that cashes a, a twenty to one UAB a couple of years ago right. and and tell you know hey I beat the bookmakers. They shouldn't you know and and pound my chest because they've beaten me plenty of times. Absolutely.
0: If you hadn't figured it out by now, I'm a big contest guy. I like to compete. When talking about credibility with sports betting analysts, it's hard to determine what makes someone credible. So it's important to me to have these results on my resume. Also, the contest scene is part of the puzzle in the sports betting industry. So talking about how it works is something I wanted to do. So on May 26th, I spoke with my proxy for the contests in Las Vegas, Matty Simo of footballcontest.com on how he became a proxy but it was another story that caught me by surprise
6: i'm a die-hard bulls fan so i uh definitely followed the last dance i've been watching I nice. that up actually last night nice. um and it was yeah they brought back a lot of memories of just being um i was in vegas in the late 90s when um you know the second three-peat was going on sure. and I followed the bed and i actually uh uh, bet against them quite a bit. I I I uh, my, my friend John Annick, he's a big Boston fan and he he basically and I follow the same kind of uh betting strategy with our 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 hometown teams is to fade them. The emotional so that, hedge. You know, what? The emotional hedge. So, I did that with the Bulls. I lost a few hundred bucks, which for me at the time was big <laughs> back on that that last uh, championship um, you know, and uh it it's just funny to kind of see everything you know, we live a lot of those moments. I was I was actually at the Hard Rock at Joint, which was their club uh, the night Rodman uh-huh. and, and uh, Carmen Electra were there. I was I was standing right next to them. No way. what was happening. Yeah. And I couldn't believe it. I, you know, I, I wanted to buy uh, Rodman a drink so bad, but he was drinking Coors Light. I, <laughs> I didn't really uh, know how to be like, hey, can I get another Coors Light for this guy or something like <laughs> that? So. It was just crazy to be like within, uh, you know, a few feet of them and just, you know, they had their little entourage and stuff like that. It was just like, it was just cool because it was in the back of the club and things like that. And, you know, it was just, it's just crazy to even think about it. It was, it was so wild. Well, especially you to know,
0: see it in documentary form these years later, it was yeah. really cool. Here in Canada, like everywhere else, the landscape is consistently changing. New opportunities arise all the time. Chris Abbott is one Canadian that found himself at the right place at the right time. On May 20th, Chris told me about his role with Cool Bed Canada and how he found himself on a plane to a far away land.
7: I looked into the company. I looked into where they were based. I asked some questions and I got totally transparent answers from everybody. And, you know, that really gave me confidence to proceed with kind of the job interview at the time. And uh, everything's been great so far. So, yeah, they uh, as part of the onboarding process brought me to Tallinn, which is the capital city in Estonia, um, like a one hour ferry ride from Helsinki and about a three hour drive to St. Petersburg, Russia. So that's the kind of the area of the world it places you right on the Baltic Sea, right above uh, Latvia and Lithuania. Um, So that, you know, I had to look it up on a map. I I was getting on an airplane. I didn't know where I was going. (laughs) so uh, I flew Toronto to Warsaw, Poland to Tallinn. And uh, honestly, it's a gorgeous city. Um, It's so, the contrast is unbelievable. They have, uh, they're a tech hub in Europe. Uh, Skype was actually started in Tallinn. So you have, you know, all this, um, you know, mid uh, millennium architecture from the 13, 14, 1500s and and even before. And then you have these futuristic looking buildings right next to them that we don't even have here in Canada. So the juxtaposition was unbelievable. Uh, The people were awesome. Everyone over there speaks three, four languages at a minimum. Um, So it, it was really quite the experience. I can't wait to go back.
0: So that was 2020, over 170 episodes altogether, even with the pandemic stealing sports for a large chunk of the year. But what's on the horizon for 2021? Well, hopefully a vaccine that works and the abolishment of this stupid virus. We get stadiums packed again. Home court advantage has to be measured again. But for the podcast, there's a bunch of different ways this goes. Option one, the way that the podcast stays as it is, is with your support. Which isn't just moral support, it isn't just hope, it's listening, of which of course you're doing. The more listens, the more attractive it is to sponsors and content companies. Listens equals subscriptions, equals ratings and reviews. But shares are how listens are increased, word of mouth, forwards and tweets. It will always be free. So it's not like you'll ever have to pay for anything. So your support seems like a small price to pay so that someone or something pays me instead. If you like this show, why shouldn't I get paid for it by someone? I'm worth that, aren't I? You have a good time listening. I have a good time doing it. It just makes sense. Option sort of number two here, the podcast becomes less frequent. Either someone or something hires me to do something in the betting industry. A sports management degree, experience in corporate partnerships, media production, and 20 years of betting experience should be worth something. Knowing how the industry works better than most who are in the industry should be worth something. And then the podcast becomes a hobby or as a secondary thing. I get positive feedback from strangers all the time. They're learning a lot from this podcast. I'm talented. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but they're nice enough to say it. And maybe that's just because people are nice. And that most people who you know don't want to say, you kind of suck. So maybe the right person finds the show and wants to take a chance on me and what I know and what I can do within the industry somewhere. The final option is the podcast goes away entirely because the support and the results just aren't there. I believe in betting as recreation, as fun, and doing so while getting good at it, getting smarter at it. I suck at golf. It's not fun to play badly. It's expensive to play golf. But when I play well, it's a lot more fun, a lot more worth it. So why not practice? Why not learn more? Sometimes a really good shot bounces off the green. Sometimes a good bet loses. As the landscape expands, especially here in Canada, there has to be a place for someone willing to help people keep their money in play and make their experience a good one, win or lose. So that's the challenge for 2021. How can we make this work? How can we help the industry not ruin itself thanks to mismanagement? If you have any ideas, you know where to find me at authentic M-R-U-S-S-A-U-T-H-E-N-T-I-C on Twitter. DMs, as always, are open. Thanks for hanging out with me this crazy year. We'll be back to the usual stuff. NFL handicapping, the playoffs, the Super Bowl, college basketball, don't touch my March Madness this year, the NHL, the NBA, golf, all of it in 2021. We'll see you at the window.